And welcome back to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where Dan Delzell and myself, Sonny, them talk about the issues of this world through a biblical perspective. And Dan, you know, the last couple of weeks we've been focusing on works versus salvation and how some people believe that you have to work your way into heaven. Some people believe that you only find out if you're redeemed when you stand before Jesus after the second coming. And of course, the Bible teaches that salvation is through faith alone and that you're saved immediately and up front and you don't have to work your way for anything. And one of the things that has kind of come up, which is something that you write about, is is the term faith. You know, faith could have various meanings to different people. And oftentimes faith kind of just gets thrown out there as, oh, I have faith in, in God. I have faith in this. I have faith in that. Especially when it comes to religion, you know, faith is a, a pivotal part of the Christian salvation message. But people come sometimes just kind of throw it out there that, you know, faith is just, oh, yeah, I have faith and, and it's going to all work out, you know, and send, send good vibes, send prayers, and I have faith, everything's going to work out. And so I thought maybe that's something that we can kind of touch upon is, you know, faith, we know that works doesn't get us into heaven. That's what the Bible mm-hmm. preaches. We know that the only way is through Jesus Christ. Because uh, Jesus says that, you know, in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But then when you get this faith, people are kind of redefining faith. And again, it's something that you write about in the Christian Post. And so I thought maybe that's something that we can touch on. How does faith get in the way? Because people think, mm-hmm. I have faith, therefore I'm going to know God. I have faith, therefore I'm a Christian. I have faith, therefore I'm going to make it into heaven. But sometimes this word faith can trip people up. And as we talked about last week, you know, there's a there's going to be a, a few people possibly in heaven that follow uh, the whole standing before God saying, you know, I did all this stuff in your name. And he's like, depart from me. I never knew you. And faith seems to be one of those words that maybe might be tripping people up with their, you know, with their um, salvation or with their theology or with they what they're thinking about their own salvation. I thought that's something we could talk about. Oh, there's no question about it, Son. I think that's a great topic to have us think about and discuss. And, and I address, as you say in, in this article I've written on how, uh, you know, redefining faith can prevent uh, people from knowing Christ. And, and the way that this happens is when, when people take the word faith, and, and you'll hear people say this, Son, you'll hear people say, well, faith isn't just what you believe. Faith is also what you do. Now, the people who say that, Son, I'm sure in many cases are, are well-meaning. Um, in many cases, they're probably zealous. In many cases, they're, they're, they're concerned that, well, you know, there are some people who talk about faith who don't really understand, um, you know, the, you know the, the, that there's more to it than that. But, but there's a real problem when we try to redefine faith to basically mean um, trust in the works that you do. Um, you know, so, so faith becomes trust and the works you do. And that, here's why that's a problem. Because Scripture says that we're saved by grace through faith, which is just trusting in Christ to forgive us. It's receiving a gift. It's not working for it. It's not earning it. It's, it's not doing anything uh, other than receiving the gift. Um, and, and then once we receive the gift and, and we become a, a follower of Christ uh, through faith in Jesus, we receive him as our Savior and as our Lord, then um, we begin to live the Christian life. 
But if you redefine faith to mean not just trust, but both trust and works, now what you're telling a person is that they have to rely not only on Jesus's work on the cross to forgive your sins, but then you also have to rely on your own works, your own response, and, and, then, and then your own striving to do the Lord's will. So there are different angles to this, um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll cover it from multiple angles today, but, but just initially here, it, it is just, it, it's a very dangerous thing when someone starts to say that faith is more than trusting in Christ. And, and one verse people will point to and kind of, um, you know, misinterpret is, is a verse in James where James says, you know, even the demons, uh, you know, believe God exists. And that's true. They know he exists because they were kicked out of heaven along with Lucifer um, when he rebelled in heaven, they know that they're, uh, they are destined to suffer torture in, in hell forever. Um, the, the, the Greek word there, Tartarus, really the, the, the deepest part, the abyss, the, you know, if you want to call it the, the deepest dungeon of hell, uh, is where these demons, some are already there. Some the Lord has already cast there. Um, and, and there are others that will be cast there. In fact, there's an interesting, uh, event in the Gospels where uh, Jesus is coming uh, and he's um, delivering these demons out of these these men who are possessed. And, and the demons start to say to the Lord, hey, you know, if you come here to torture us before the appointed time. And so demons are terrified of Jesus. Um, demons know that they, they cannot um, be forgiven. That, that's not an option available to them. So when people use that argument, well, even the demons believe. And, and, and they're trying to make the point that, well, you got to do more than believe. To, to which the biblical answer would be, well, you will do more than believe after you believe. You know, you will do more once your soul is converted. You will do more once your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit and your sins are forgiven. And, and, and so it's not a matter of will you or won't you do more, but it's a matter of people who, in their zeal, they, they, they try to redefine faith because they think, well, we can't just make it too easy for people. And what they forget is this, son. It's not up to them to make it this or make it that. It's God's plan of salvation. And, and just because maybe they met someone who, who claims to have faith, but they don't think that person's a Christian, well, maybe they're not, you know? I mean, the Lord knows. I mean, there are people, like you said at the beginning here, they use the term faith. They throw it around. Um, they might mean anything. Um, they might mean all sorts of um uh, you know, uh, different things. It was, just, it was interesting, Son, right before we, we came on today, I was listening to a short little interview that Will Smith was having um, about this movie, I guess he's been in, where he plays the father of, of uh, Serena and Venus uh, Williams, um, who interestingly, you know, they have a Jehovah's Witness uh, connection in their family. But anyway, but he was talking about faith, and he was being asked about faith, and um and basically, he he made the point that well, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't get to where he's at unless you had faith in the Lord. Well, you know, there are going to be people who, are, and I was even reading some of the comments. There are going to be people who are going to kind of question because there's been a lot in the news about well, you know, doesn't he promote open marriage? And and others who are saying, wasn't well, he a Scientologist? No, I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, none of us can judge someone else. All we can do is judge doctrine. And, you know, Scientology is not Christianity, so I don't know if he's affiliated with that or not, but, but if he is, those two things are not compatible. Um, Jehovah's Witness doctrine and Christianity are not compatible, so you, you can't be both a Christian and a Jehovah's Witness. You can choose. 
And, and, you know, you can't have an open marriage in a biblical marriage. Um, you know, the, the, the Bible is very clear on God's plan for marriage between a man and a woman. And while everyone is a sinner and, and, and no one, I mean, even, you know, King David was forgiven of his adultery, but if King David had gone on to promote open marriage and then been talking about faith in God, you know, uh, the Lord would have come along and said, wait a minute. Um, what are you talking about? Faith in the Lord. How about, how about obedience as well? I mean, if you're going to have faith, then it's going to be necessary after you have faith to seek to obey the Lord. And you can't promote, for example, the sorts of things that Jehovah's Witnesses teach about uh, about God. You, you can't promote things like an open marriage or, you know, sexual sin. So again, that's not to judge him. That's just to say that it's because of things like that, son, then the people will say, well, so you got to have more than faith. But, but what I would say is I would, I would, I would kind of push back a little bit and say, wait a minute. Um, just because Will Smith or anybody uses the word faith, it doesn't mean they're talking about biblical faith, the kind of faith that Jesus spoke of or the Apostle Paul spoke of. So, so don't redefine faith just because somebody is, is twisting all sorts of scriptures around to try to make it sound Christian. And again, I don't know where Will Smith is at, and I, I'm not you know, saying he, he's here or there, but I'm just saying if, if, if in fact you know, he is part of Scientology, then you, you, that just doesn't fit with Christianity. Open marriage doesn't fit with Christianity. Christianity, Jehovah's Witness doctrine doesn't fit with Christianity. Um, so anyway, um, you know, those are just a few things. And I, I know we'll get into a lot more here as we as we think about all the different angles on faith. You know, Dan, when you talk about faith, you know, works pops up. We've talked about works before. One of the things that I found interesting after a conversation when it comes to works is that this. OK, so people are going to work their way into heaven. They do good mm-hmm. things. Therefore, they're going to work their way into heaven. But it seems like they dismiss the bad things that they do as like it's not going to bother them. I mean, it's almost like if you're going to work your way into heaven, it doesn't have to be like a minus against those brownie points of good things yeah. you do yeah, when right. you do bad things. I mean, shouldn't there be a balance there? I mean, it's not like, you know, if you are, you mentioned tennis, you know, if you make an error in tennis, there's right. points for the other player, right? So your mm-hmm. error, your mm-hmm. bad deeds, so to speak, you know, yeah. is penalized against you in points for the other person. So it's almost like when right. you bring works in, people, it's, it, it almost kind of disproves its own self just mm-hmm. from the fact that people are disproved or, 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 or dis, um, they are just not taking into consideration the fact that the bad things they do yeah. should yeah. counter away the good things they do. And so that yeah. would nullify works getting mm-hmm. in heaven because they say, hey, when they get and they stand before God, they're like, hey, I did all these things for you, these good things. Well, he could turn around and say, well, what about all the bad things? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly right, son. And, you know, I think that's a great point because natural man, you know, man's natural way of thinking, apart from the Holy Spirit giving us revelation uh, of the gospel, okay, man's natural way of thinking is, well, you know, in order to get into heaven, I need to be sure to do more good than I do bad. Because kind of like what you're saying, I mean, so in that way, the good will offset the bad. But what, what that what that natural assumption misses, Son, is, is that what God has told us in the Bible is that all of our works, you can have a lifetime of works, all of it does nothing to wash away even one sin that we commit out of the many sins that everybody commits in their lifetime. So not only does it not offset it, it doesn't even go so far as to remove one sin. And this is why the blood of Jesus was shed on the cross. This is why the Savior was sacrificed for us, because 
our our sin required a perfect sacrifice, not us trying to you know give our best efforts, not us trying to do more good than bad, not us just saying, oh God, I'm sorry, you know, let's just get over it. No, it required a payment for sin so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sin in hell. Uh, which, by the way, in Luke 16, Jesus spoke about a man who went to hell and uh, who was in torment. And the man said, I'm in agony in this fire. And that man remains there to this day. And he will remain in that in that prison forever. Now, this is the harsh reality of eternity that Jesus tells us about. Um, these two extreme destinations of heaven and hell. Um, you, you know, as, as uh, one of the uh, gentlemen last night in our Bible study said, they're part of our study toward the end. He, he made a great point about how, um, you know, we were, talk- we were talking a little about fear, and he, and he pointed out where Jesus said, you know, don't fear the ones who can kill the body, but be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And he was just simply making the point that, you know, um, once you don't, you don't have that fear of being thrown into hell because you know Christ is your Savior, you know, everything else is, you know, so far less than that. Um, but he was just making that point that, um, you know, there's so many people that don't have that fear of going to hell because they assume they won't. I mean, I think a, a survey one time maybe saw, and it, maybe it showed something like 1% of Americans perhaps uh, said they think they're going to go to hell. Well, you know, Jesus said that many are on the wide road that leads to destruction and a few are on the narrow road that leads to life. Now, I wish that, you know, it was the other way around. I, I, I wish that, you know, many were on the narrow road and a few were on the wide road. But these are the words of Jesus. These are the words of the one who left heaven and came to earth and never sinned even one time. And he allowed himself to be arrested and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And then um, he, he ascended into heaven after appearing to uh, many of his disciples, hundreds of, of you know, his followers saw him. And he said, hey, I'm going to be back, you know. So um, until I come back, you know, go out there and, and make more followers. Tell them, tell them about me. Preach the gospel. You know, tell them that they can be saved by grace through faith. And then tell them that um, once you're saved, that, that then God's going to have, you know, plenty for, for them to do, to, to, uh, to reach others for Christ. Um, but a lot of people aren't going to like it. Um, you know, in a lot of nations, I mean, you'll, you, you can be killed for, for, uh, you know, for proclaiming that message just as, as the Lord was killed, you know, for telling the truth. But, uh, but it is what it is, son. And, uh, you know, um, the, the works are a part of our, um, part of our Christian life. You know, in Romans one, five, it talks about the obedience that comes from faith. We've talked before about, you know, an apple tree will produce apples. So Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But, but where, where people get confused, and, and this is where you get, you know, different groups that are not Christian groups. You get different churches that don't pre- proclaim the gospel is when they confuse the fruit with um, what is at the core of the relationship. Uh, they, they confuse the fruit with, with really the root. Um, the root of the Christian faith um, is Christ dying for our sins and then us trusting in that. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only, only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know, Jesus didn't say whoever works their way into heaven, whoever does more good than bad, whoever tries hard and is sincere, and yet, if you ask the average American, you know, why do you think you will or you might go to heaven? You know, son, so many people say, well, you know, I'm sincere. 
or I try my best, or I don't always, you know, get to church, or I don't always do this, or I don't always do that, but, but God knows that, that, that I'm, you know, I believe in him and so forth. Well, um, there are so many, sadly, who don't know the gospel, and so that's our mission field, to help people to see that in order to be saved, um, it involves trusting Jesus, having faith in Jesus, and that's why we, we take so seriously, Son, um, this, this calling that we don't let people um, change the meaning of faith without, without pointing out that that's not what God teaches, and that won't save your soul. If, if you're trusting in your faith and your works— to get you to heaven, then basically you're like a co-savior with Jesus. You know, in fact, and I'll share this on, you know, you may have heard me say this, but one time years ago, uh, there was um, somebody at, at church, uh, a teenager who brought a friend of his uh, who was a Mormon. And I was very glad that, that his friend came and everything. And then after the service, uh, I was even able to talk with both of them a little bit. And then I asked if I could share something with his Mormon friend. And so we sat there and, and I, uh, I set out these three chairs. And, and I asked, I said, Hey, now just imagine standing before God at the, you know, the end of your life, you know, and before you're told whether you're going to be led into heaven or not, uh, imagine, you know, the Lord saying to you, now I want you to sit down in one of these three chairs, whichever one represents your faith for getting into heaven, your confidence, your trust, what you're relying on. And, and so imagine this chair here on the right being for the person who thinks, Hey, you know, I've, I've done enough to get in. I, I've, I've, I've done this, this, that, and the other. And, and so I, I think I've, I've, I've done enough. I've earned an, enough good, good points to get in. Then you sit there if that's where your confidence is. The chair on the left now would be for the person who would think, well, you know, I, I can't do it all. I mean, certainly what Jesus did on the cross has to help with getting me into heaven. So this chair then would represent the person who's maybe putting half of their confidence in what Christ did on the cross and then half of their confidence in their work, works. So kind of Christ plus me um, together. And then the middle chair would represent the person who's going to put all their eggs in one basket, the basket of the cross, and going to put all their confidence for heaven in what Jesus did for them on the cross. And then I, I said to, to them that day, son, I said, now imagine the Lord saying, now you sit down in whichever chair represents your faith. And, and your confidence for getting into heaven. And then once you sit down, two of these chairs are going to drop into hell. And if you're still sitting there in the chair that remains, then you'll, you'll come into heaven. And so I asked, uh, you know, I asked the, the Mormon uh, friend, I said, which, which chair would you pick? And I thought, son, I, I was pretty sure he was going to pick the chair where he got some credit and Jesus got some credit. I was a bit surprised when he picked the first chair, the chair where it completely depended upon his works to get into heaven. Well, son, that's what, um, that's what, you know, other groups, you know, other religions teach other than Christianity. It's not, it's not about done what Jesus has done. It's about what you do. And, and so I find that the three chairs example, it really helps a person to think about where is my confidence for heaven? And if my confidence for heaven is in anything other than Jesus and his death for my sins, then I, I don't understand the gospel. And, and I'm not trusting. I'm not believing. I don't have faith in the Lord unless. So, so that's what faith is. And works come after, but they're not anything to do with what saves us or gets us accepted by God or forgiven of our sins. You know, Dan, there's been there's been many polls that have come out recently, and, and they even go back to, I think, one of the earliest polls that first started to kind of feed this data was in 2008, and it was, I think, from the Pew Research, 
and there's been others, but there's this ever growing belief. I think back in 2008, it was like 50% believe that either some other faiths or some other entities can get you into heaven, that Jesus wasn't the only way. And it's a growing trend, I guess you can say. So if we go with that, okay, let's just go with the fact that people believe that there's other ways to get to heaven. But then they say they have faith, okay? I believe it's Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access to faith into this grace, which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Okay, so if I'm reading this and interpreting this verse correctly, through him, through Jesus, we obtain the access to faith. So without Jesus, it's almost like we can't have faith. Am I misreading that? Or is that something that we can... uh, can take from that verse that Jesus and faith, belief in Jesus gives us access to faith. Faith can lead us to that salvation. And without Jesus, we believe there's other ways to heaven. If we take Jesus out of the equation, we really don't have faith. Yes. Jesus has to be right in the middle of that sign. You're exactly right. It it reminds me of the passage in Hebrews uh, that says Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. In 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So biblical faith, Christian faith, New Testament faith, son, saving faith, is faith in Jesus and is in what he did to die on the cross for our sins. It's not merely a faith that there's a supreme being or a higher power, or as some argue, you know, they try to use that verse in James, as I said, well, you know, uh, faith is just believing that God exists. No, um, faith is trusting in Jesus. That's why I use the three chairs. It's relying upon Jesus to forgive me, to save me, to bring me to heaven. So you're exactly right, son. I mean, well, without Jesus, there is no Christian faith. Now, you know, there are people who aren't Christians, obviously, who have faith. They have faith in their own deities. They have faith in their own gods, in their own doctrines, in their own prophets. They have faith in um, their own works. Uh, they have faith in their own deeds. I mean, you know, for example, in Islam, you've got the five uh, pillars of Islam. And, and, and so the, this is what you have to do to be a good uh, to be a good Muslim. You have to do these things or, 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 or to be a, you know, a, a good Buddhist or a good Hindu or a good Jew. Um, there are things that they give you to do. So in Christianity, here's how it works. You're not given a list of things to do, at least not initially. OK. You're given a free pass. You're given um, you're given a, an opportunity to to get to make your reservation in heaven. Okay, to have your name written in what the Bible calls the Lamb's Book of Life, and that happens on the front end of your relationship with God. And the Bible uses terms like saved, redeemed, forgiven, born again, justified, all to describe the person who now is a believer. And now, how did you enter into that that state or or what you read there in, in Romans, you know, into this grace in which we now stand? How did that happen? It happened through faith, simple, childlike faith that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And, and then you'll get people who they'll get worked up. They'll be like, well, it can't be that simple. And, you, you know, you got to do more than have faith. And here's what they missed on. You will do more than have faith once Christ comes to live in your heart. But there's a difference between then um, living for Christ because you've been saved 
as, as compared to trying to live for Jesus in order to be saved. And you referenced those folks that Jesus referred to in, in Matthew 7, where he uh, those really he was dealing with false teachers in that in that uh, part of the, the, the chapter there. And, and he said, some are going to come to him and say, well, we did this, we did these things in your name, and the Lord's going to tell them, uh, uh, away from me, you evildoers, depart from me, I never knew you. And and so what's interesting there, son, is Jesus didn't say, well, I once knew you, but you didn't do enough good works, you know, to get into heaven. No, he said, I never knew you. So these false teachers were never saved. They were never redeemed. They were never born again. They were never justified. They were never forgiven. But they were all doing things in Jesus's name. And, and son, I'll tell you what, you've got people that, that knock on doors today and do things supposedly in Jesus name, even though, you know, if we really want to get technical here, and it's important that we do, um, it, it's not the Jesus of the New Testament. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, those who come with another Jesus. And, and, and some of those groups that will knock on your door, I mean, there are some wonderful Christian groups, obviously, that, that do that too and and that's you know that that's wonderful when that happens but um there are groups that do that and the jesus quote jesus they're um you know they're talking about is is not the eternal god along with the father and the holy spirit so what have they done son they've not only redefined faith they've redefined jesus you know so it would be no different than if somebody um you know were to call me um this evening and say oh hey you know uh i think we have a mutual friend um i say yeah i say who's that they say, oh, I think Son Edom is, is our mutual friend. And I'd be like, well, yeah, I mean, Son and I just did a podcast today. How do you know Son? And then imagine him saying, well, see, I, I live in Tennessee, and, and uh, Son is um, – He's my coach on my on my team, and um, you know he's a he's a great coach, and uh, he he's been working here with our team for the past year. I, I say, wait a minute. I say, you know. I don't doubt that, you know, there's probably somebody there named Sanitam that you're working with, but that's not who I talked to today. That's not the Sanitam I know. And, and so this is what happens with these groups. They use the name of Jesus. They even put that in the name of their organization. Um, you know, they'll say, you know, they're Jehovah's Witnesses or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, and, um, but if you redefine the name, you don't have the same person. You don't have the Holy Spirit behind it. You don't have the gospel. And interestingly, son, with both of those groups, just like the young man I talked to that day at church, um, they teach their people that they have to work their way in. And that's why when I ask those folks, and they all always are very nice and everything and polite, which is great, you know, but whenever I ask them, hey, now, what did you receive on the front end of your relationship with God? They just kind of give me this blank stare. Like, I mean, they, they don't know what I'm talking about because what they're programmed to believe is, is that you really don't get anything on the front end. It, it, it's when you go to stand before God one day, hopefully you will have done enough. And that is not Christianity. Um, I mean, they're not the only groups that do that, by the way. I mean, there are other groups that, that um, will leave you hanging like that. They won't give you the assurance of salvation based on faith in Christ because they don't believe it. They don't believe you're saved by, by grace, son. They believe you have to earn it. They believe you have to prove it. They believe God only gives it to you once you've really proven yourself. And that is not biblical. That is not the gospel. That is not Christian. And ultimately, son, the one behind that is, is, is the one who, um, you know, the Bible talks about doctrines of demons. So where do these false groups get these false doctrines? Well, um, their leaders get these doctrines. They don't know it in most cases. Um, you know, they're not like, you know, out and out devil worshipers. They don't claim to be that. They don't think they're doing that. But they get their false doctrines from demons. 
And the reason I say that is because that is Satan's strategy to try to keep people from knowing Christ. You know, let's make it sound religious. Let's make it sound pious. Let's make it sound very uh, zealous, you know. Um, and, and then so, so you, you, you mix in a little bit of truth, but you, but you change it. You redefine faith. You redefine the nature of God. You redefine the gospel so you don't have the gospel. And, and, and you get people all worked up. And there's a spiritual energy in those groups, son, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Um, that, that's not the Lord that's working in those groups um, because the Lord is not going to contradict himself and he's not going to contradict the gospel. So, you know, Satan is very clever. Many people are led astray um, by these false definitions of faith and of God. And, um, you know, we're all sinners. We all need the grace of God, but no one, no one can work their way to heaven. You know, Dan, there was, um, I guess it's still popular now, but back in the 90s, there was a, a slogan, a saying that became popular, you know, what would Jesus do? WWJD. Mm-hmm. And I got yeah. the premise. I get it. But it was, to me, it was always too cartoonish because, I, like I said, I understand the sentiment. You know, we want to do what Jesus would do. Sure. But, but religious people, as you write in your article, religious people often try to imitate Christ's example. Yeah. But only the Holy Spirit can turn a lost sinner into a saved saint. And so right. what would Jesus do? Well, we could act like Jesus. We could mm-hmm. do what Jesus did. We could feed people. We could, um, you know, help them. I mean, we can't heal people and we can't perform miracles. But, you know, we could do things that Jesus did. But just because we imitate his example, it doesn't mean that we are saved because then we're missing a component of that salvation. And so a lot of people then are misguided from the fact, if you just go from the, what did Jesus do or what would Jesus do? Well, it goes beyond that because it requires us to have more than just doing what Jesus did to have salvation. Yeah. Great, great point, Simon. And what it, what it reminds me of, and I'll compare it to this, you know, um, years back, there would have been, you know, many public schools in America that had the Ten Commandments on the wall. And that was seen as a good thing. That was seen as a wholesome thing, which it was. OK, um, um, the thing with that, um, however, is that while that's a wholesome thing and I think it would still be a wholesome thing today, but, you know, obviously um, to have the Ten Commandments is not by itself going to be enough for your soul to be saved. You know, uh, the Bible in the new Testament says the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. So just like with the saying, what would Jesus do? Okay. The 10 commandments are a great, um, a great way along with all the other uh, things we find in the new Testament, that there are great ways to, to say, Hey, what can I do as a Christian now that I'm saved, redeemed, born again, justified and forgiven through faith? How can I please God? Well, the Ten Commandments are, are a great way to know how can I please God because He wants me to He wants me to do those things now that I'm saved. Um, but if I launch out um, as you know, for example, many many Jewish people will, will do this because that's that's part of their their religion in Judaism. You know, they'll launch out and they'll seek to follow the Ten Commandments. Well, when Jesus came onto the scene and ushered in the New Covenant. Um, you know, in John, it says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
So now the Lord elevated it to this messianic level that, that everything was pointed toward. Now, sadly, there are many and many Jewish people who don't view Jesus as the Messiah. They, they're, they're spiritually blind uh, to that. Um, and so all they're, all they're operating with is still the law. I mean, they don't even have their animal sacrifices anymore, which kind of makes you wonder, well, I mean, you know, the Old Testament says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So they don't have the animal, even the animal sacrifices, which, by the way, in the New Testament, it becomes very clear that, that, that even those sacrifices did nothing to really um, remove sin. But God accepted that as kind of a ceremonial cleansing um, during that time before the Messiah came. But, but once Jesus arrived onto the scene, um, now all eyes were to be on him. Um, and, and now... As Jesus preached in his first sermon, repent and believe the good news. He didn't say work harder at obeying the law, um, do a better job with the Ten Commandments. Um, you know, he didn't say that. He said, repent and believe the good news. Because what's necessary, son, for a person to know God, to know Christ, to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons in one God, which, by the way, the cults reject the doctrine of the Trinity. But what's necessary to know God is to repent and believe the good news. And then on the front end, okay, you're given forgiveness and salvation um, through faith. It's a gift, not works. Now, once you're saved, I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with a Christian thinking about, hey, what would Jesus do? You know, um, I mean, as long as you understand that everything you're doing for Jesus now is a response to the gift you already have. And if you're not sure yet whether you're going to heaven, if you're not sure yet whether, you know, um, you're saved, don't launch out into works yet. You, you need to take a step back. You need to go to the point that Jesus brought when he arrived on the scene. You need to go to the gospel. You need to go to the one who said in, in John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked Martha, do you believe this? He didn't ask Martha, Martha, will you work a little bit harder? Martha, will you obey the Ten Commandments a little bit better? You know, now that I'm here, I, I've really come as kind of a cheerleader for the law. I, I'm here now to just give you guys a boost, to give you guys an extra motivation. I, I, I saw you were having a tough time obeying enough, and so I came from, no, no. He came here to die as a sacrifice um, to atone for our sins. Um, and, and so through his death, through his cross, through his blood, man can now be righteous in God's sight, declared righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. And, and so it is absolutely diabolical, son, for, for people to preach a legalistic message of, of, you know, work, work your way to heaven, work your way into God's forgiveness, work harder. No get saved, and then go and work for the Lord and, and do whatever he leads you to do in obeying him. Um, but, but don't do it in order to be saved, because if you do that, you won't be. You'll, you will remain lost. You will not go to heaven. You will go to hell. Not because God wants you there. He doesn't. God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So those who end up going to hell, son, um, it was because of their unbelief um, and their sin, their sin. Now, you and I have sin, but, but as Christians, 
We don't have unbelief. We have, we have faith in Christ. We have, I, I'm not saying a Christian could never have a doubt or anything like that. Sometimes, you know, doubts may enter a person's mind. Um, well, you, you give those to the Lord. And then the Lord, like he said to Thomas, stop doubting and believe, you know. Uh, but, but every person's son is either born again or they're not. They're either saved or they're lost. They're either forgiven or they're unforgiven. They're either justified or they're not. They're either redeemed or they're not. And so this is what has to happen on the front end. And sadly, you know, there are many that miss it. They end up settling for religion, but they miss Jesus. They miss the Savior. And some of them even use his name. But like we saw in Matthew 7, some even are doing works in his name. But even some of them, you know, are going to be told, um, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because he never knew them, son. They were never saved by grace through faith. Now, as we talk about this, a thought comes to mind. Yes. If someone has faith in Christ, mm-hmm. would that mean they're obedient to his commandments? And isn't willful disobedience evidence of a lack of faith in Jesus? How does that balance out? Yeah, you know, here, here, here's the thing with that, Son. So, like, for example, in the Psalms, you know, the psalmist said, um, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be innocent of great transgression. So as Christians now, son, you know, uh, Paul talked about um, the struggle he had with sin, even as a Christian, Romans 7. He said, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. Now, I, I don't believe for a second that the Apostle Paul was out committing, you know, the type of sin, let's say like what David committed with, with Bathsheba or anything like that. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because God would have exposed that just the way he did with David. Um, Paul would not have been used the way he was used. Um, it, if he had been living a double life, I mean, Paul wasn't perfect, but, but here's, here's perhaps what Paul was referring to when he said the good that I want to do, I don't do the evil. I don't want to do that. I keep on doing, you know, let's just say, for example, son, there were, you know, 10 second periods in Paul's life where he just kind of got in the flesh for a moment and started thinking about some people who had really, you know, persecuted him and, and, and just having some pretty unkind thoughts toward them for like 10 seconds. And like, Oh Lord, what am I thinking? I mean, so for Paul, that would have been like, Oh, how could I do that? Or, or maybe, maybe Paul maybe had a, a 15 or uh, 20 second, you know, um, time here where, he, so this is what I think Paul was referring to. Not, 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 you know, major, you know, things that, um, where it was like premeditated sin that lasted hours and days. Having said that, son, really go to your question. Um, you know, as Christians, there will still be sin. Um, sometimes those sins are what we might call hasty sins, you know, spur of the moment. You know, maybe a person's out on the highway and you get cut off and you respond in a way that's not um, not the way Jesus would want us to do that. So that was a hasty sin. You weren't thinking about it a minute earlier, uh, but then you, you, in a moment of weakness, you sin. Um, but then there's premeditated sin, which is, you know, something's wrong. Maybe let's say you like holding a grudge against someone and you know, you shouldn't do that, but man, you just, um, you're so mad at them. And, and so you kind of start to harbor a grudge. Um, so that kind of starts to fall into a little bit more of a premeditated sin. Now, um, that, that by itself, it can cause a lot of disruption in your life until you bring that to the Lord. But, but there are things like that, that, that happen in a Christian's life. There are sins in many different areas that, that can pop up that a Christian may engage in, maybe even son with some premeditation there for a while, but they're going to be miserable, um, until they repent of that because the Holy Spirit who's in us, um, is perfectly holy. And, and if a Christian is entertained, 
remaining sin. Not, not, not just, you know, slipping into it, you know, let's say um, hastily and then quickly getting out of it, but, but they're kind of lingering around. You know, I talk about going to the basement room of your soul, your sinful nature. Um, you know, it, it's one thing to like run down there in, in a moment of temptation and then, and then, you know, quickly get back upstairs in the living room with Jesus once you realize what you did. Um, and, and you kind of come back to your senses. It's another thing to hang out down there for hours or days or weeks or whatever. So, you know, premeditated sin is, is um, more, more damaging to a person's relationship with God. But that's not to say that every time we sin as Christians, you know, we're, we're moving in and out of, of, of faith in the Lord. It, it weakens our faith in the Lord. It, it, it disrupts our faith. And, and certainly, son, if a person doesn't repent, then you, you go to verses like what Paul has in Galatians where he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to, to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So, so if a person's life is aimed in the direction of sin, and that's what they pursue with deliberate intent over and over and over again, no, no conviction of sin, you know, then that, is, that, that would, would indicate that we're not talking there about a believer. On the other hand, if a person is seeking to please the Lord, but, but they're getting tripped up in, in this area of their life, a couple areas of their life or whatever, and, and it's like God is, is kind of starting to deal with them on that and, and show them that. Um, but, I mean, that happens all the time, Son. I mean, you know, uh, Christians are imperfect. Um, uh, Jesus is not going to reject imperfect Christians um, because if you're a Christian, you're saved, born again, justified, redeemed, and forgiven. Um, uh, having said that, you won't be a happy Christian and you won't be pleasing the Lord if there is some deliberate intent um, to, let's say, holding that grudge or gossiping, or you, you fill in the blank with one of, you know, dozens of sins, uh, hundreds we could list. Um, so when there's deliberate intent, um, again, you know, it's no different than like in a home, son. I mean, let's say you've got a seven-year-old and, and they do something that is wrong and you tell them that's wrong. And okay, you think now maybe we're going to move on from that. And then they, you know, five minutes later, they go and they do it again deliberately. Okay. Well, now that, that raises the level of the offense because it's like, wait a minute. Well, you know, what, what wasn't clear five minutes ago when we just talked about that, you know, and then f 10 minutes later, they do it again. Now we're talking, son, about a more serious offense that, that is, is even more displeasing to the parent and, and will likely be met with, with some form of discipline because um, that sort of intent, if left unchecked, is, is just so destructive for, for the child or in the case of a Christian for the child of God. So, so you, you can't just flaunt sin in God's face. Well, you know, I'm forgiven. You know, that's like the child. Well, you know, I know what you said, mom or dad, but Hey, um, I'm going to do it my way. Cause I know better than you. And I call the shots around here and, and that's no way to live as a, as a child in a family. That's no way for a child of God to live. But, but Hey, let's face it, son. Sometimes children behave kind of that way to a certain extent. Sometimes Christians behave that way to a certain extent. We've all been guilty uh, of sin and, and we will continue to fall short, but um, that's not our aim. Our aim as believers is to please the Lord, not in order to be saved, but because we've been saved. You know, the other thing Dan I was thinking about too was that when Jesus says, I think it's Matthew 12, verse 50, and I like to use the King James Bible, for, who, mm -hmm. for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother, sister, and mother. Oftentimes yeah. people... Um, 
You know, and there's an extension to that. You know, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father. Okay. So there's, yeah. there's a contrast there. But a lot of times I've heard people kind of relate will of the father as works, like what the father wants me to do as far as works. Is there any clarification that you can make on that? The will of the father versus, you know, the works that people kind of sometimes interpret that to be. Well, you know, I, I think when, when we look, when we're looking at that passage and, and any verses like that song, we have to kind of, you know, break it down a little bit. Okay. So when, it, when, 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 you know, it, it refers to, you know, unless you do the will of the father, um, we have to ask the question, okay, so are we talking here about perfect obedience? Because if we're talking about perfect obedience, then only Jesus fits that. Um, there would not be one person in heaven um, other than the holy angels and God himself, um, but no human beings, um, not Adam and Eve, not any of us, um, none of us would get to heaven if that verse means that you have to perfectly do the will of God in every situation or you won't see the kingdom of heaven. So it, it can't mean that because the, the Bible tells us that there are a lot of people in heaven. There are more people arriving every day, millions there, many arriving every day. Um, you know, there are about, uh, well, several hundred people, son, who die every minute in the world. So during this podcast, um, I mean, thousands of people, are entering into eternity during this podcast today. Thousands of people. I mean, several hundred a minute, okay? Um, and, and you know what, son? Not one of them perfectly did the will of, of, of the Father. Um, but um, those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, they are the ones who are brought into um, brought into heaven because they, they are forgiven. So as Christians, we seek to do the will of God. We do not seek to sin, um, but but we have to understand what these verses are saying, um, and, and 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 we also have to read them, son, in the context of the entire Bible, um, because otherwise we could cherry pick a verse and, and try to make it say something that contradicts the rest of the Bible. Um, you know, there are. Um, you know, I, I want to say 138,000 words um, in uh, in the Bible, if I'm not mistaken. And and so, if if let's let's say you had a a young woman who wrote a letter to her fiance that was 276 pages long, with 500 words a page, and she was pouring out her feelings of affection and unconditional love. But let's say there was one sentence in there, son that didn't seem to fit the rest of it. And it almost seemed to be saying the opposite of everything else that was being expressed. Well, you'd have to be careful if you were reading that and you were the guy she's writing to that, that wow, I mean, it, it sounds to me like it's saying something, but, but that can't be that because that doesn't square with the 99.99% of the rest of this huge letter that my fiance just sent me. So the same is true of the Bible. When we come across challenging verses, and there are plenty of them, um, and especially if they deal with something as important as, as salvation and justification by grace through faith, if it seems to be saying something different, we need to make sure that we interpret it in light of Scripture and, and, and that we don't come up with our own uh, doctrine. Um, so anyway, I, I'm, I guess just in answering your question, um, 
you know, in terms of those who do the will of the Father, um, well, you know, uh, Jesus at one point said, you know, um, somebody asked him about, you know, doing God's will. He said, the will of the Father, the will of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So, so that's how we do the will of the Father. We believe in the one he has sent, Son, and then certainly, yes, um, God um, expects us to obey. Uh, you know, the Bible says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So what does that mean? I mean, okay, so take that verse. It's like, whoa, I guess I'm not going to see the Lord because I'm not always holy. But you can't, you can't, you cannot read into that text that it says, unless you are a perfect holy, perfectly holy without ever sinning, you won't see the Lord. That's not what that verse is saying. Because if it was saying that, son, no one would be going to heaven. So um, Christ produces holiness in us, the fruit. Um, and we're still sinful. We still fall short. But as we grow in our life of sanctification, um, we, we, we become more like Christ. But, but when, if we ever start to have doubts about our salvation, we need to go back to the cross. Um, we need we need to go back to what it is that saves us. And son, if we ever start to have doubts about something in our life that is sinful, um, well, for as Christians, we need to go back. We need to say, we need to find out is this God's will or not? You know, um, and, and many times we know it's not God's will. You know, like for example, we know God doesn't want us to hold a grudge. We know God doesn't want us to give in to certain thoughts or certain speech patterns or certain behavior, or whatever. So it, it's not a difficult one. We just don't really want to own it right now. We we kind of don't want to give up our sin. Um, you know, as somebody once said, you know, um, when. Um, when, when we're tempted, and if we give in to temptation, it's not like, you know, we're, we're necessarily saying, well, I hate God and God hates me. But instead, we just kind of forget about God for a little while. We go do our own thing. And yes, son, that can happen to Christians. It does happen to Christians. Um, where, where there's a, a, a five-minute lapse, a 50-minute lapse, a five-hour lapse, a five-day lapse, a five-week lapse, whatever it is. The longer the lapse, okay, the, the, the longer the relapse, um, you know, the, the longer we're going to be miserable until we repent of that. And, um, so what I, I like to encourage people to think about it like a zero to a 10, um, whatever your temptation that you're struggling with a full blown relapse is a 10. Uh, you want to try to say it a zero. You want to keep those numbers low. You want to stay on the couch with Jesus there in the living room of your heart. You don't want to go downstairs in the basement when you're tempted. Maybe that first 10, 15 seconds is going to decide whether you go to a one or not, whether you start entertaining the thought. Maybe you entertain the thought for 30, 30 seconds, whatever your temptation is. You know, it might be some addiction. It might be whatever. Um, it might be a thought thing. It might be, uh, it might be a substance issue. It might be something on the internet. It might be an attitude towards somebody. So now you're at a, now you're at a, a one, let's say, because for 30 seconds, it wasn't just the thought came into your mind, but now you're kind of starting to entertain it briefly. So am I going to pray it back down to a zero, which is relatively easy when you're at a one, or am I going to linger on that thing longer? So maybe a minute, two minutes, five minutes, whatever. So the more we dwell on that sin, the higher the number gets. And, and by the time sign we hit a four or five, okay, most Christians are not going to get back to a zero until they have a a full-blown relapse. And by that, it might be um, giving into their addiction. Um, it, it might be just, um, you know, going off on somebody that you're mad at, you know, shouting at somebody or whatever. Uh, it might be swearing at somebody. It might be, you know, giving, but, but that's the way temptation works. And so as Christians, we are called to manage the ones. In, in other words, they're going to be ones. 
they're going to be thoughts. They're going to be, you know, things that come at us and that we, you know, maybe we're tired one day and, and, and we, and whatever, and all sorts of things can trigger different temptations that people struggle with. But, but if we don't manage the ones, um, then um, we are going to find ourselves falling over and over and over again. And God will help us. And I, I encourage people, I mean, hey, get a, get a partner, uh, you know, might be your spouse, a close Christian friend. Um, and, and just ask and say, hey, you know, I'm struggling with something. Um, would it be okay with you if I just text you the number one or the number two um, whenever I'm, you know, starting to fall into this thing? And, and the reason I want to do that is so you'll know. So you can pray for me, but it's going to help to hold me accountable because then I'm going to know that, you know, and, and rather than having to text you a three or full blown relapse, which I know you'll still accept me if I do, but it's going to be a little bit easier for me to get back because now I'm going to be praying to get back to a zero. You're going to be praying and, and son, it's a whole lot easier for Christians to get down to zero from a one or a two. When you're at a four or five or six, um, you probably won't get back to zero until you have that full blown relapse because that, that pull is so strong, uh, even for the believer. Uh, because when you hang out in the basement room, that's the power of sin right there. And that's not who we've been called to be, okay? But but this is why um, we, we find ourselves as Christians, and, 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 and we see with other Christians, this is why there are um, struggles with sin. And Satan's attacking us, our flesh is attacking us, the world is, is aimed in that direction. So, you know, when people make fun of Christian son, it's because they've never tried it. You know, you try it. Go ahead, get born again, you know, um, and then you see how easy it is or how difficult it is to stay on the couch because I don't know what your weak areas are, but you are going to be hit with a boatload of, of temptations. And, and unless you are managing the ones, okay, almost sometimes minute by minute. You know, unless you're managing the ones, um, you go ahead and see how easy that is. So, so people, when they make fun of Christians, um, they have no idea, son. They've never tried it. And especially if, if they're dealing with, let's say, a Christian who, is, who has fallen into sin, and maybe it's some big public thing where they've done this, you know, or it's a Christian leader, um, and, and people feel so good about themselves when they see that because they say, well, hey, well, you know, look at that hypocrite. Well, I mean, all I would say, son, is um, for anybody who's being critical of Christ or critical of Christians, um, Go ahead and try it, you know, get born again. And then you see, it's not always easy to stay on the couch there with Jesus. Um, and so um, this is the, this is the struggle that Christians have, but it does get easier. And, and son, the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, I, I've known Christians who, who've talked about like different things. They battle different addictions. And, 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 you know, once you, once you say no to a sin, whatever that sin is, um, maybe it's your anger or maybe it's whatever. Once you've said no to it enough, it gets, it gets easier to, to, to resist because you, you've kind of been trained. You've trained yourself with God's help to not go to a three, to not go to a four, um, to not have a, and, and, and if you do, then what we have to stress is, Hey, don't beat yourself up. I mean, come on, let, let, let's go back at that thing. Um, God's not condemning you for that. Um, don't condemn yourself for it. Um, but yes, the Lord's will is that you remain on the couch at a zero. Don't give up. Don't believe Satan's lie that you're always going to relapse because you won't. You don't have to do that. There's victory in Jesus. Um, you know, we've been made a new creation. But but likewise, there are people out there, uh, you know, really sign. They want to throw Christians, their family, friends, church folks under the bus whenever they have a relapse. And and, and that that level, that's what the Pharisees would do. You know, they wanted to stone the woman caught in adultery. Um, they They didn't love people at all. So we have to be very careful 
careful that we manage the ones in our own life without ever throwing stones maybe at someone who's either an unbeliever or maybe they're a Christian and they're really struggling with relapses. Um, we have to be very, very careful because the Lord takes that very seriously. If we start to judge somebody because of their sin, um, boy, that's, that's, that right there is, is one of the biggest sins, I guess, that, that, that we could be guilty of. You know, Dan, when it comes down to it, the starting point, I guess you can say, is we just need to repent of our sins, ask Jesus to come into our lives, and start yeah. from there. You know, we can we can get into some of these things and talk about them because they're extremely important. But for someone that's yeah. listening and is maybe confused yeah. by all of this or they're yeah. not really sure what's going on, the first and mm-hmm. the most important step is to yeah. believe yeah. that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for our sins. Yeah confess yeah. our sins, repent from that, invite him into our lives, and start yeah. there. And then once you start there, you can have the Holy Spirit come into your life, Amen. and then you can Amen. start going from there. Amen, son. Just believe and receive. And I'll tell you, son, what I'd love to do right now, if I could, um, I would love to just invite every listener. If you're unsure, my friend, where you stand with God right now, if you heard me talk earlier about the three chairs and, and you know, uh, the chair on the right is, is relying on your works to get into heaven, the chair on the left, you're relying partly in your works, partly in Jesus to get into heaven, and the chair in the middle is if you want to put all your eggs in the basket of the cross. I'd like to invite you to do something right now. If you just kind of picture that in your mind. And if you're ready to sit in the middle chair, um, if you're ready to trust Christ, if you believe what you've heard today, that, that he is the way to heaven, um, then I'd like to invite you just to just to profess that faith. You can just do it in your heart or you can do it out loud, uh, depending on, you know, where you're at and everything. Uh, you know, if you're sitting in the airport or whatever and, and you know, you, you might want to you, you do it silently, it's fine. You know, the Lord hears it. But I want to invite you just, just to, if you just repeat this after me, um, as, as a profession of your faith, if you just say, Lord Jesus, um, I choose the middle chair uh, because I cannot save myself. I cannot pay for even one of my sins. And based on what I've heard in your word today, I see that my works cannot wash away even one of my sins. So please wash away my sins with your blood. Save my soul. Lord, I'm sitting in this middle chair right now, Lord. I'm putting my, all my eggs here. And I realize, Lord, that you, you know, two of these chairs are going to drop into hell. And I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. But I believe your word, Lord, that you rescued me from hell when you died for my sins on the cross. And so, Lord, I'm choosing the middle chair. I'm placing my faith in Christ. Cover me with your blood. Wash away my sin. Cover my soul. Um, may the righteousness of Christ cover me. And then, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I might live for, for you, Jesus. And, and that, my friend, that's, that's your profession of faith. And, and I want to invite you, go, go back again. If you want to, you know, listen to that again here on the podcast, you know, Simon will be putting this up online. Um, and if you just kind of want to go over that again, just kind of, you know, think again about what you're doing with that. Um, that's why, you know, that's why Son is, you know, has been led to put together Sanctified Reason, this podcast, so that you and others can come to know what the Lord has graciously shown us and other believers. Believers, um, all believers. And, and, and so, and if you're a believer today, maybe there's something else today that, you know, maybe this, the, 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 uh, the essence of the gospel you've, you've known for a long time, but maybe there's something else, hopefully that's kind of maybe helped you 
you know, in your walk with Christ. And maybe it's the, you know, the zero to 10 and the managing the ones, maybe it's something else we've talked about, but, but, but I tell you, son, thank you for all you're doing and just for allowing me to um, come along for the ride here. And, and as you and I share the gospel on your, on your podcast. And uh, so, yeah, what a, what an exciting, what an exciting um, ministry God God gives us to share the gospel. And so, thank you again, Son, for um, all you're doing and letting me be a part of it. And we appreciate your time and coming on and talking to us. And we look forward to many more conversations as God allows us. Absolutely, Son. I I sure do as well. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless. <laughs>